Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and in this week's episode, we're talking about your 1 and 5 Detroit Pistons. Ben Galker and I talk about the uncomfortable reality of Blake Griffin, discuss uh, whether or not Jeremy Grant's excellent play can continue, and we talk about ways that the Pistons can get Killian Hayes going. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. This is the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh, I'm pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How are you doing, Ben? Hey, Laz. What's up, man? I'm doing good. Just got done watching the Pistons search for futility continue <laughs> in another meaningless loss where uh, we'll talk about it. How are you doing, Laz? I'm doing okay. I don't yeah, this is this is a pretty this is a pretty obvious loss. The the way in which they lost was pretty obvious. So like I have a rundown of stuff that like we could talk about, but like if you just want to talk about the way that game ended, <laughs> we could just go directly into that. Oh man, Les. So all right. I am frustrated right now with not the losing, right? So I have been on this train for a while now. I do not care how many games the Pistons lose or win this season. What I care about is how they win them or how they lose them. And, you know, I talked about meaningless losses a a week or two ago. And to me, like this Boston game is just the epitome of a completely meaningless loss. Like we know who Mason Plumlee is. We know who Blake Griffin is. We know who Derrick Rose is. We don't need to see them play 35 minutes a game down the stretch against a team like Boston because they're going to lose anyway. And we all know they're going to lose, except I guess Dwayne Casey. Casey doesn't appear to grasp that. What we don't know is, is Seiko Dembuya going to become a real NBA player? And how does he match up against some of the elite talent in the NBA, right? We don't know how Killian Hayes can handle an offense in in the final three minutes of a closely contested contest against one of the elite teams in the Eastern Conference and on down the line, right? For every young player in the lineup, except for Sadiq Bey, who fortunately did get some time there at the end in the offense for defense shuffle which I think he's a big, strong dude, defended well, except for leaving Jalen Brown completely wide open, right? So the point is, like, if I'm a young NBA player, that loss just feels completely meaningless to me because I have no idea how I measure up against these players in these situations in spite of the fact that all of the PR messaging I'm hearing, all of the talk from the front office is that, 
we're about getting younger and getting better. And yes, we want to compete, but we want to play and, and force feed, right? These young guys minutes. The reason this, this is so frustrating to me is because these veterans are not good enough to win. There's no combination of veterans that you can assemble on this roster and go beat the Boston Celtics in, in two games in a row or, or even win 50% of your games against the rest of the NBA. The team just isn't good enough. The point is to figure out who the young guys are, which of them are part of the core, what are their skills they can already bring to the table, where are the places that they really need to focus. And you just can't do that when they're riding the bench. So, you know, for me, like, yeah, it's the heat of the moment and it's the passion of the frustration that's coming through right now. But this is this is Dwayne Casey's pattern, man. This is what he he did this all season last year to Christian Wood, and it drove me absolutely bonkers. And then what do we see out of Christian Wood? Well, he has an absolutely fantastic close right up until, you know, COVID knocks the season out of whack. Then we let him go for reasons I, I don't understand. Obviously, that's not on Dwayne Casey, but we just let him walk. And then he goes to Houston where he becomes the second man in the top scoring tandem in the NBA, right? So we let, we let a guy like Christian Wood just, we just squandered him, right? So yeah, obviously we're only a handful of games into the season and we're not there yet, but, but this is Casey's pattern. And look, if I'm Troy Weaver right now, or let me say it a different way. If, if Troy Weaver is cool with this, like, I think we're just as lost as we've always been because I, I just don't see this as the way to build a team from the ground up. You don't do it with a washed Blake Griffin leading your team in minutes per game. You don't do it with Mason Plumley isolations out of a, out of a timeout, a post-up out of, isolation out of a timeout. What does that accomplish? And you don't do it when Derrick Rose is four for 12 with four turnovers and Killian Hayes is arguably having one of his strongest and most consistent games of his very young career. So, you know, like to me, this game just epitomizes like my worst fears about what this franchise could be this season. It just feels directionless. It feels lost and it feels completely futile because if we're going to just lose games like this for the rest of the season, you have just squandered such a tremendous opportunity uh, to really learn a whole lot about these young guys and who they could become as NBA players. And, and so with that, I'll get off the soapbox. And Laz, I have a feeling you'll be able to calm me down a little bit because you, you talk, you you bring reason to the table and I appreciate it. But man, for me right now, this was just, just a really frustrating game. Yeah. That, yeah. So if I told you that Jeremy Grant played more minutes than Blake Griffin and that Blake Griffin didn't hit 30 minutes played, and that Killian Hayes and Derrick Rose played the exact same amount of minutes, does that change how you feel about the game? Or is it just when the minutes occur, right? Well, so what? it's it's more the latter because right. it, it seems to suggest that Casey is really trying hard to win these games, and there's, well, they're which, just not going to win. They're just not going to win games. But that is, in fact, like what they said they were going to try to do during the offseason, right? They did, in fact, say, like, hey, like we are going to try and win these games. But if that's true, Laz, then I feel like they're as lost as they've been since 2008. And that is super demoralizing because they're not going to win. They're just not good. And if they think they're good, that's a real problem. Yeah, I don't know. It's tricky. Like, I agree with you. 
but I like I know that okay, you're not it is unlikely that you win with the vets, but like you're definitely not gonna win with the kids. I don't like, know though. I don't know. I, Do you think today? Look, but they okay, so okay. I would say their two most competitive games this season were against Atlanta and then the game they won against Boston, right? So the one constant there is Blake Griffin didn't play, right? And yeah. maybe we should talk no, about we, Blake yeah, Griffin and where he's at, yeah. right? And some of that's because Josh, Josh and Jeremy both played really, really well against Atlanta and, and kind of the same story against Boston. But, like, it, it, what you said about minutes, I totally get. The minute allocation to me it is not unfair tonight, but, like, resting Blake in that, long stretch to start the fourth quarter just to bring him back in when he's played poorly right and Derek Rose has played poorly and then orchestrating it all for Blake to get the, I don't know like all of that the way that that all played out just feels super futile to me no I mean I I don't disagree the main point I want to make before we start talking about Blake because I think I think like Blake is the like root at all of that is at the core like a lot of these issues but so we're going to get to Blake but the one thing I will say is that, um, like, with the vets, they lose games. They're responsible for losing games. That's not that big a deal to them. They will win more games in the future. They have lost a bunch of games in the past. They'll be fine. For the kids, for thinking back to, like, Killian Hayes' back-to-back turnovers against Minnesota, um, you think about uh, Sadiq Bay like, getting uh, blowing the assignment on Jalen Brown because he's trying to cover for Blake Griffin uh, tonight. Like, you, you don't want to expose those guys to those situations and have it go negatively consistently, right? Like, we are still at game, what, six? Game six of 72 on the season. Um, I think that when it is more clear that these games are more meaningless as we get later and later in the year, we'll see more of these guys closing games. We'll see more of uh, of the young guys playing down the stretch of games. And like like you said, we have seen like said they were making offense defense substitutions to put Sadiq Bay and Sekou Dumbuya in the game, right? Like there is some level of trust that exists between uh, Dwayne Casey and those guys, but uh, offensively, like yeah, he's going to put the ball in the hands of his most established players and not his youngest ones, especially for now. Later, we'll see if that alt- that plan gets altered or changes or anything, but. For now, like that's they said they were going to try and win these close games, and like doing it with the veterans means like or playing the veterans is it goes alongside like what they said they were trying to do. Like we will see Killian Hayes close a game when they lose a game by like fifteen, but they haven't done that yet, which is encouraging in some spots. But hey, the I, we should talk about Blake Griffin though. So uh, this is a little unfair again. Only game six. But the Pistons are winless with Blake Griffin and one and one without him. <laughs> Jeremy Grant looks markedly better playing at power forward, and the on-off numbers are not kind to Blake Griffin. When Jeremy Grant is playing and Blake Griffin is not, the Pistons have like a plus three net rating, and that was before tonight's game. Um, when Blake Griffin is playing and Jeremy Grant is not, um, the Pistons have like a negative point three point or. 0.31 uh, net rating, which is not great, but it's only also in 17 minutes. Um, but when Blake Griffin and Jeremy Grant are both on the court, Pistons have a minus 20 net rating. That's really bad. Wow. That's real that's bad. Yeah. So, so we have a team that's 
like okay with Jeremy Grant without Blake Griffin. We have a team that's kind of bad with Blake Griffin without Jeremy Grant, and we have a team that's just like worst in the league with both of those dudes on the floor. So Ben, what what do we do about Blake Griffin? Yeah, this is a hard question. I mean, in a way, it feels unfair to say what I'm about to say, but like this feels so inevitable to me. I think the injuries really accelerated this, and that's what's super unfortunate because Blake Griffin two years ago was playing some tremendous basketball. But like when we traded for this contract, we knew that Blake Griffin's end of his career wouldn't be like the beginning of his career, right? Like basketball players age like milk, not wine. Like that's how it works. Father time's undefeated. And I think we're probably a year ahead of schedule in terms of where we thought this might go. And that that makes it really hard because I don't think anyone was planning for like full on rebuild um, at this time. You know, yeah, and you got to remember who who traded for Blake Griffin. That's true. Not Benny. here. Not he here. Thought he, he thought he'd be here. He wasn't. He's not. That, so that's true. Uh, you know, to me, it looks like Blake Griffin Griffin is washed. I I feel like that's probably not an unpopular opinion at this point. He looked washed in the preseason to me, but I was kind of like holding out hope that maybe it was just you know not really trying to exert himself physically. But he can't elevate. I mean, he had a chance to dunk. Um, late in the game in the fourth quarter and just kind of put up a little bunny off the glass. Um, he can't elevate his defense. He's just not moving laterally, laterally very well at all. And I, Duncan posted something on Twitter, and it's like 40% of Blake's attempts are three-point shots like yeah. for the whole season. So yeah. tonight he took 14 shots, and 10 of them were threes, and he was only three for 10. So it's it's not just that Blake Griffin – is is aging and slowing down is that i think it's time to ask the question is like is blake griffin hurting the team and those on off numbers feel like what i'm seeing like the ball kind of stops with him when let's like you think about it not just outcomes but also process so you've got killian you've got jeremy grant and you've got blake griffin in the same starting lineup jeremy grant is clearly playing better at the four like you're saying he's clearly playing better when blake griffin is in there and i'm also starting to get a little bit concerned about killian hayes potentially struggling because of being paired with great blake griffin because so much of the offense runs through blake and the ball just kind of seems to stop when it gets to him like if I think about the Atlanta game or the Boston game, they won particularly in the first of half, first half of that game. There was just so much ball movement and player movement. And I think like Jeremy Grant in particular, he is so strong when he catches the ball on the move. Like he, he is getting to the paint almost at will if he's catching the ball and, you know, curling around a screen or off a give and go or something like that. But when Blake Griffin's in the game, like it, it just sort of stops, right? The ball gets to him and everyone just kind of stops. And I don't think Blake is selfish. We know he's a very good passer and, and willing passer. Um, but right now, this, this recipe, this mix of ingredients just isn't working. And kind of to make light of it a little bit, what it kind of reminds me of for all, these, for all the old men like me, it reminds me of when Chris Webber was a piston, Chris Weber was a piston, like you could tell he still had some game. Likely if he went in the YMCA league, he would just be dominant, but can't really jump anymore. Can't really run anymore. And it's really hard to kind of figure out how to get 33 minutes out of him when so many of those, those things aren't working. And the other, the last thing I'll make about this is it the Pistons to me need to run. And Laz, you have been saying this for like two or three years now, like they have to run. They don't run when Blake is out there. Um, they, they just don't. 
So this is a hard situation. I don't, I don't have a good answer other than moving on from him, which I think is the inevitable answer, but that's a whole lot easier said than done. Yeah. The, the way that Boston just exploited him defensively down the stretch of this game uh, was, I think, was, was very noticeable. You had, I mentioned it earlier, but like you had Sadiq Bey, like having one foot in the paint, despite the fact that he's guarding Jalen Brown because he knows like Blake can't move, won't move to, to cover the rim um, that burned them. They had Blake covering Marcus Smart for some reason on the final possession. Um, Boston engineers a switch on Tatum and then Tatum uh, being guarded by Blake is my literal worst nightmare right now as a no Pistons chance. fan. Yeah, zero chance. The only, you, you pray he misses the shot because he's going to get an open look and he didn't. And that's the ball game. So it's really tricky. Um, Kuka Hill has made like an excellent point out of this. Like Blake Griffin, like very quickly endeared himself massively to Pistons fans. He almost quite literally like sacrificed his leg to drag this team into the playoffs a couple years ago. It's really difficult to say like, Hey, uh, we should just discard this guy at the earliest opportunity. But if he can't, if he can't elevate, and he's strictly a perimeter shooter, and if he is on the move as a driver, he's looking to get fouled or pass instead of like actually score the basketball, it makes a lot of sense to uh, de-emphasize what he offers offensively in favor of what the team is getting elsewhere. Um, and I can, with that said, like there was a nice uh, New York Times feature about Blake Griffin uh, this week. Blake kind of like explicitly said like hey like i would i'd like to win at this point in my career i don't uh he didn't really say like how the pistons were going to do that and i think that's a a fair and astute observation by for him um you know i've talked with some people there the uh, there could be a market for blake this offseason it wouldn't be a total shock to me if he uh declined that player option and became an unrestricted free agent and wow uh, yeah and was still able he'll still be able to get a just off the strength of his his brain his passing ability and the ability to make shots um he could still play like another three years in the league it's just it won't be at that 39 million dollar number but he's made enough money in his career uh if he cares about winning he, he can't do that here and so it wouldn't be a total shock to me right um yeah, I mean, he could. You could see him sort of engineering a, a, a really difficult second unit to deal with, right? Offensively, I think he's still got enough to do that. He passes well. He's smart. All those kinds of things. But he's just not a thirty-minute per game, you know, number one option on offense. Not even a number two or three option on a, on a good starting unit. I don't think he's he's second unit material to me right now. Yeah. I mean, speaking of of offensive options, like. Jeremy Grant, like, is this real? We've seen huge spikes in his usage and his production. Um, his efficiency is down kind of correspondingly with the increase in usage, but not at a point where I'm uncomfortable giving him the ball at that level. Uh, he's averaging 23 points and six rebounds a game coming into tonight. He's like shooting five free throws a game. He looks every bit the part of like a really, really good number two option on a great team. Um, so Ben, do you think, do you think this is real? Do you think this will, this will continue as the season goes along? Yeah, I I don't think, think there's any good reason to be skeptical that it's real. Um, you know, we know he can shoot. Um, we're seeing very quickly that 
his athleticism is obviously real. He, I forget who put this out on Twitter today, but he, I mean, he can, he, he's so long. He can get to the paint from the three point line in a step, right? Like, I mean, especially when he's on the move. So, you know, kudos to, I mean, I was critical of Troy Weaver to start the podcast. Kudos to Troy Weaver for knowing and understanding that there was some serious untapped offensive potential right? They talked about it over the course of the off season and we're seeing it play out. Um, you know, from a little bit of a critical perspective, you mentioned his efficiency dropping. Um, his shooting numbers are down a little bit, but um, I wanted to point out that it's interesting to me that his turnover rate is still really low and turnovers are obviously a really important part of efficiency. So to me, that's actually huge because if his shooting numbers dropped and his turnover rate spiked, then I think Maybe you'd see some fool's gold point numbers there, but he's actually really smart with the ball uh, when he gets it in his hands. Um, The other thing I'll say about his efficiency is I think there's probably um, some growing pains that we're seeing. So I don't think it's just a function of taking more shots and taking difficult shots. I think um, there's some shot selection learning that he has to do. Um, The second half of the Boston win is kind of like the picture perfect case study in that in the first half he was very much going to the basket um in the second half he was very much isolating um sort of settling for isolation jumpers and three-point looks so i think there's probably you know just some learning there um you know to pass on some of those shots that are maybe a little bit lower quality in favor of some higher quality looks and i look not to rag on blake griffin anymore but i think when we can get him shifted over to the four full time I think maybe some of those higher percentage looks for him uh, start getting generated just naturally as a result of a lineup change. So, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to eat crow about Jeremy Grant. I think he looks really, really solid. Um, he doesn't pass yet, right? Like he's not a facilitator for anybody else yet. Um, so we'll have to watch that to see if that develops. But look, he's still obviously fantastic defensively um, and his offensive game is real. So this is certainly a big win. Yeah. And I think his passing, I think Grant's passing is not, he's not unwilling to pass. He's just like been put in situations he's never encountered before. And so he has the, he has the head for it. He's just like not quite sure about it yet. And that's something that I think he can still kind of, uh, you can still grow into as as the season goes along. Um, You mentioned this, but like, yeah, he's such a dynamic player given any advantage with the basketball yeah. um you had you saw uh in the i think it was the i think it was the fourth quarter they were running like little pin downs with isaiah stewart just like using his entire body to free jeremy grant yeah and like they they should have gotten more points out of those uh but like i would like to see them continue trying to do something like that instead of just like giving jeremy like the ball at 15 feet at, in a post up and saying like hey go to work um i think but i, I think that we like just as Jeremy Grant is kind of learning the extent of his abilities, uh, like Dwayne Casey is also kind of learning sure. the extent of his abilities, right? Like yeah. we saw a lot more post-ups in the first couple of games. It's like, okay, let's throw those out. That's not yeah. really <laughs> that let's, didn't work. Right, let's, let's try some pin downs at 15 feet. Like that also kind of looked, it looked a little better, but you know, still wasn't as effective. Um, like, well, let's, let's get him the ball in advantage situations and have him attack the rim and see what happens. Um, I was surprised when I looked at the numbers, his, his free throw rate, uh, he's shooting more free throws, obviously, but that's just a factor of his usage. His free throw rate is about the same as it was in, in previous years. 
Um, so that that was really interesting to me. I feel like, and I feel like he's gotten fouled more yeah. than he's gotten credit for, and I feel like that will come as uh, as he gains more recognition for his his scoring ability. There are a lot of uh, recognition fouls that the guys get, and he he kind of drew one on on Simi Ojale today. Uh, that that was a that was kind of a ticky tack foul, but yeah, like Jeremy Grant doesn't look like he's doing anything unsustainable. The thing I am kind of worried about is he's so he is long and he is he does stride it out as you mentioned, but I'm I'm a little worried that uh, he's never had to take like this level of physical punishment before. Mm-hmm. He's falling a lot. Um, he's got long arms. He's getting whacked more than he's like ever been whacked in his career. I wonder if. We see like after like forty games of this, he's like, and eh, you know what? Like it's it's kind of hard to to uh, keep attacking the rim as hard as I've been doing. Um, and if we see kind of a, a drop in efficiency from that, but yeah, Jeremy Grant's been he's been so good. Uh, I wonder. Um, I don't. I don't wonder. I, I feel like this is the the fact that like Jeremy Grant is good. And that most of the rookies are good, and that Josh Jackson, who like we talk about his tragic uh, ankle injury today, that didn't really look that great, but he was also good before the ankle injury. Like so far, it seems like all of Troy Weaver's guys like work, right? Like that that is the the thing that we were looking for in the construction of this team. Uh, since they did not place a priority on maximizing the asset value of guys that they had. It's like you really need the guys who you do bring in to be effective players. And so far that's been the case. You know, maybe Troy Weaver is just like the best scout in the league and just like <laughs> out, outsmarting everybody. Um, you know, speaking of one more dude that uh, that Troy Weaver scouted and uh, took um, and that other teams didn't place as high priority as on uh, Isaiah Stewart. Beef stew. <laughs> you took uh, you took Jaleel's Okafor's job already. Uh, Okafor, of course, played in this game, but only in the first half. And Stewart played more minutes than he than he did. Um, Stewart was providing just a shot in the arm of energy. Just uh, a pretty good rebounder, a great offensive rebounder. I saw a tweet from Duncan about that uh, during the game. But uh, Ben, we hoped that Isaiah Stewart would take Jaleel Okafor's job. But did you think it would come this quickly? No, not at all. I mean, first time you saw him play, I mean, to me, he just felt like a piston. He works hard. He's a blue collar. And Detroit always loves those players, right? So as a fan base, we're obviously rooting for him because he does the things that Pistons fans love. And look, I mean, so much kudos to him. When you're a bench guy, you absolutely have to be ready when your number's called. And you never know why it's going to get called or when it's going to get called. And, you know, sometimes it's because of a, a little bit of an injury, and that's what happened for Stewart. Uh, and he was he was ready and willing to step in. I think, you know, the highlights for me, obviously he's a fantastic rebounder, uh, particularly on offense. His, his rebound rates bear this out. Um, he's not playing outside of himself offensively, which I really appreciate. Um, it, it's clear, it's clear, right? Like his offense just isn't there yet. So he's kind of the garbage man cleanup guy, but it appears that he relishes that role and he's completely content in it. And I think that's, you know, that's to be uh, admired and encouraged and celebrated guys who understand what they're good at and maximize those things and avoid the things that they're not good at. You know, that's, that's super useful to have, especially in a guy coming off the bench. And, you know, I think another thing that it shows is if you're a young player and you can step into the league and do one thing really, really well, 
you can still earn minutes and contribute. Uh, and I think that's what Stewart's doing. Uh, judging by what I'm seeing online, like the fan base has fallen in love with him. Uh, his nickname is Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and I'm a fan. I'm, I'm absolutely a fan. We, we saw a little bit of the expansion of what he's been asked to do offensively today as well. Like we saw him catch the ball on the short roll um, a couple of times. Didn't always make the correct decision, but you, you like the expansion of what they're willing to let him do. But yeah, like he's just a dude who knows his role and you always got to love dudes who know what they're good at and only focus on that. And the the energy that he brings, like the the Pistons don't, Pistons have a lot of guys who are more athletic than they used to, than, uh, than they used to have. Um, but not everybody like plays with that level of passion. Um, and it, you can see the impact that that has on, on the guys around him. I'm remembering the, the transition dunk he had against, against Boston in their yeah. win, where he's just like, he's firing up the entire uh, bench unit at a time when that was a, that was a close game, right? I think that was when like the lead was kind of slipping away and you, you saw kind of him like, like, no, like we, we got to have our energy up cause we need to win this game. And yeah, like stuff like that is just so irreplaceable. Um, he's also like much, I don't know if he's a better defensive player than Jaleel Okafor, but if the Pistons continue to do the thing where they're trapping guys at 20 feet and, uh, you know, showing the occasional double team um, and having him kind of help him recover, he's already in a better, he's already better mobile. Um, he's more mobile than Jaleel Okafor. I feel much more comfortable with him doing that than I do with Jaleel Okafor. And so like, yeah, there's, there's no reason why this, uh, why we should stop eating beef stew. There's no reason for it. I don't know. We're going to workshop it. We're going to workshop it. I don't know if I want to eat him, but no, he also had, uh, he also had two really nice blocks today, right? Yep. So rim protection was definitely not on anyone's radar. Two really nice blocks and a, I can remember one other nice contest where he didn't get the block, but altered the shot inside. So, you know, that's an added bonus too. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Now we turn to a little bit uh, sadder news. Um, Josh Jackson, you know, injured his ankle in the third quarter. We uh, didn't, he obviously didn't return to the game. Um, It didn't look great. He got stepped on as he was coming uh, down in transition. Um, He had been playing really well uh, up to that point and providing, providing the Pistons with like a slashing element from the wing that they haven't had in a long time. In addition to like the occasional shot making that we had seen. Um, Ben, what do you think Josh Jackson's absence does for this team well first of all i hope he's feeling okay i suffered way too many bad ankle sprains in my day as well so i I really can't bear myself to watch those replays so i don't i don't even know how bad it looked but i've heard it looked pretty bad so i hope he's all right um you know in his absence the things that you mentioned are you know the the shooting to some degree like we saw svi step in and finally knock down some shots so, you know, hopefully Svee can contribute a little bit if, if Jackson is out for an extended period of time. But I think it's the shot creation and slashing. Um, the Pistons have not had that on the perimeter. Um, and I think, you know, to me, Josh Jackson was feeling a lot like last season's Christian Wood, right? Like kind of the redemption project that the Pistons have been known to have um, over the years, starting back with, with Chauncey Billups back in the early aughts. So, um, you know, he was establishing himself as, I think, a legitimate starting caliber player, maybe not on the best teams in the NBA, um, but certainly for those, you know, playoff competition sort of teams and rosters. Um, three-point shot 
as you called out in the notes, was was regressing a little bit, but that was inevitable. He was kind of shooting the lights out. Um, so, so I think it hurts. I think it hurts from a fan perspective. He was a easy player, an easy story to root for. Makes sense in the context of the Pistons. Um, and look, I mean, I'm I was glad today to see Svi get some minutes. Like him getting buried on the bench was not the thing I expected to happen this season. But it's awful, right, that it happened because of, of an injury to a guy who's been playing really well. So. You know, hopefully it's not as bad as it looks and, and we're not without him for too long. Yeah. You know, Josh had been starting. I wonder if we see a return to the Daylon Wright starting lineup. Um, it seemed like Dwayne Casey had determined that Killian Hayes no longer needed like a, a blanket, a warm blanket mm-hmm. in the starting lineup. And so I wonder if we see uh, Svi step into that starting role. I wonder if we see Sadiq Bey kind of step into that role. Sadiq Bey is uh, like, he was forcing his way into the rotation, you know, even prior to to Jackson's injury, and so I, I would I would guess that's the direction they end up going in to start. Uh, but yeah, Bay is a better three point shooter, I think, than than Jackson. He's he's shown that already, but uh, he doesn't have that same slashing element, and like really, that slashing element is not shared by anybody else at at uh, at that size across the roster. Like you know, it's. Uh, if you have, if you want to have multiple guys who can get to the rim on the court at the same time, in like Jeremy Grant and Josh Jackson and Derrick Rose, uh, it, you you know losing one of those guys is is a big uh, is a big impediment when you only have a, a couple of them across the roster. And so you know, I we haven't got any official news on Josh's uh, in, ankle injury yet. Um, it did look again like I, I know you said you didn't look. I I did look. As long as long as it's not like uh, like knees going in directions like knees can't go, uh, yeah. like I'm I can I can stomach it. Um, but yeah, his his ankle looked uh, looked pretty bad. It kind of reminded me of uh, Reggie Jackson's grade three ankle sprain. Um, yeah, and so and so like you know I'm not a doctor. Uh, we have no official reporting on what his ankle injury is, but I would suspect he's out for for uh, the foreseeable future. And we'll well, the more. thing about ankles is like. All right, I'm in. I'm in my. Oh my god, I'm almost in my late 30s. That's hard to say, <laughs> but like I still, I still deal with ankle pain from sprains. You know, 15 years after the fact, like they don't. Even if you get ruled healthy, like you, you still a lot of times deal with um, just nagging, persistent pain, and it, it's, it's awful to deal with, and it's especially hard to deal with it at the beginning of the season because all you want to do is get back as quickly as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. It, especially when you're feeling like you're breaking out. Like that happened to me in college and it was just devastating on every level. Like emotionally, physically, like it just is so hard to come back. So, you know, for what it's worth, Josh, I'm sending you all the, all the good vibes I got, man. Yeah, I think, I hope that the security that Josh has in having the second year on that contract yeah. Yeah. prevents him from maybe rushing back. Um, I know that, uh, like, I'm imagining, like, if, if he was on a one-year deal, I can't imagine that, like, yeah, he would want to rush back because as well as he was playing, he was, you know, looking to make him, he'd be looking to make himself quite a bit of money. And, uh, you know, that you never, you don't want guys to play injured because you don't want them to play ineffective. And you also don't want them to re-injure anything, right? You don't want them to, to have anything bad uh, happen again. And yeah, so yeah, we're we're sending great vibes to you, Josh. Like you know, we're native Detroiter, love having you on the team. Get well soon, man. Uh, 
Next up uh, is Killian Hayes. Killian Hayes had been really struggling, played well in the first half today, played less well in the in the second half today. He looks he looks better as a passer without Blake on the floor, which is which is weird. Um, you can see him developing a lot of chemistry with Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumley. He's hit Mason Plumley for lobs, I think, in like five out of the six games that they've played. Um, but Ben, he's, he's He's not as aggressive a shooter as I'd like him to be, as as I think the the fan base would like him to be, and you can see his desire to like take shots, kind of take a nosedive if he misses a couple. And we even saw today he made his first couple of shots, and I think he only ended the game with what like five five field goal attempts, something like that. Yeah, he had five. Yeah, he had five shots. Yeah, he only made his first yeah. two. So Ben, you're you're Dwayne Casey. So you know, <laughs> I most certainly am not. This is a stretch, but we're gonna we're gonna try this. So, how do you give a 19 year old kid the confidence to shoot 12 times a game, regardless of outcome? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think the first thing is I'll, I'll answer your question, but I'm gonna take the long road. I don't know if him shooting 12 shots is the answer. That's hard to know unless you've seen the kid practice. I think not everybody um, sort of gets on a roll by scoring points or taking shots. A lot of players do. And scorers typically do really like Svi tonight, for example, you know, knocks down a shot or two and all of a sudden he's willing to shoot every time he touches it. Um, I don't know what that spark is for Killian yet. Um, he seems to remain engaged in the offense, at least to some degree, regardless of whether the shots are falling. I think you've pinpointed it right. It's his shooting and his aggressiveness looking for his own shot that seems to ebb and flow based on whether the shot's falling or not. Um, I'm glad you called out Blake Griffin because I had kind of been observing that and feeling that way as well. Um, I don't, I don't know if there's a great solution to that because it seems like Killian's future as an NBA player has a lot to do with having the ball in his hands quite a bit so that he can facilitate and create for others. And obviously, um, at least historically, that's what Blake Griffin has done. And then we've also got Jeremy Grant to some degree who needs to have the ball in his hands quite a bit as well. So, those three in the same lineup together, I think maybe are just sort of running into each other and getting in each other's way a little bit. I think maybe one other reason it's not working with Blake Griffin is because Blake just isn't the role man in a pick and roll anymore, right? Like that, those days are behind him. In terms of his shooting, um, I think what I would want to know is in practice in those five on five scrimmages or your, you know, your five on zero, like what are the, what are the sets and the, the movements that get him to his comfort zones? Like what are the plays that get you his comfortable shots? And then I think I would be really intentional about running at least two of those sets each half, um, first quarter and third quarter in particular, to try to get him looks where he's comfortable. Um, I don't know what those shots are for him. Um, You know, in today's game, he looked perfectly comfortable uh, taking and knocking down a wide open three. So you know, if getting him off the ball a couple times and making a, a goal of getting him an open look, you know, gets him comfortable, then I'd do that. If it's getting him in the pick and roll and getting him one of his, you know, sort of little floaters, make it or miss it, you know, being intentional about saying, hey, go, we're going to run these two sets and on these sets, I want you looking for your shot specifically. Um, that might be the thing that gets him rolling. And if I were, you know, coaching him in practice, those are the kinds of things I would be trying to tune into. Um, I do also wonder, though, if for him as a point guard, who's a fantastic passer, um, 
if making a, a couple really good passes to open guys who then knock down the shots gets him rolling, and if that's the case, then I, th- I think it's a matter of getting him in situations where he's just got the ball for longer. Um, I noticed this particularly against uh, the, the New Year's Day game in Boston where he would kind of his it looked like his job was to kind of dribble the ball over half court, then either pass it to Plumlee or Grant kind of at the top of the key and then kind of run into the corner and then just kind of wait. And I, I don't know if that's working well. He seems to kind of just get lost in the same way that Seku got lost um, last season. So, you know, that, that's how I would go about it. I would try to find those sets that get him into his comfort zone. And as a coach, make sure he understands, like, we're going to run these plays and we're going to run these plays for you. And if the shot's there, then take the shot, right? And if the shot's not there, then do what comes naturally. Um, I don't know if I'd be as focused on, um, you know, a specific number of shots because specific, like, when he's playing 24 minutes a game, if he shot, 12 times. Well, that's what, that's what Derek Rose does. Yeah, but if you shot 12 times, I mean, that's <laughs> a lot of shots for 24 minutes, right? So that might be one, you know, a different way of getting the same outcome you're looking for. No, that's, that's a good point. And that he's definitely like not playing. If he was playing like 30 minutes a night, I think it'd be fairer to ask him to take 12 shots, but you know, playing the 25 ish minutes a night that he's playing, uh, I think 12 is probably too many, maybe even, even like, eight or nine yeah it, more is better i agree yeah yeah um with with blake in the lineup i think that uh what makes it tricky is that like blake is not the role man he is uh and he's been in the past but um like they they like to work in the same zones yeah. in a weird way like the they both like the the left wing um and so it makes it really hard to to pick and pop blake um, you know, because he's not comfortable shooting from the areas in which Killian likes to deliver the ball from. Um, I think, and we we talked a little bit earlier about how Jeremy Grant uh, is a preposterous advantage scorer, and it's much easier for Killian to get the ball to Jeremy Grant in uh, in, an, in an advantage situation. Um, and I think that's why you see them have more chemistry. Um, you see, you see, um, Mason Plumlee sets really good screen, screens, and you see why, like, that's why he's able to, uh, you know, get his body into big men and, and get them engaged and then throw the lob to Plumlee. Um, but you, I do wonder, like, he had been coming up kind of short on everything for a couple of games prior to tonight. Um, I wonder if that was a physical thing. He took one mid-range jumper today that he was like, I'm definitely not leaving this short. <laughs> Broke the backboard practically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so he's still just kind of finding his rhythm. I, I want to be patient with him, but I, I would like to see more aggression out of him. But I think your point that he, the way that he gets going could be as a passer instead of a scorer is an excellent one and one that people should keep in mind because the thing that made him look amazing uh, this game was the fact that he was distributing the ball early, getting the, the ball to guys in spots and pushing it ahead in transition um, in the way that the Pistons don't really always do as much as I would like them to. Um, and so, and so, yeah, we ha- having him find his rhythm offensively is more than taking shots, but I would like to see him take more shots. Just, yeah. just as a as a guy who uh, was really uh, a fan of what Killian Hayes could have offered this team, but well, and, and I think it, uh, to 
it's sort of the process and outcomes conversation, which we started the podcast with like Killian Hayes going three for 10, isn't probably going to help you win, Mm -hmm. but the process of him doing that for the stretch of 20 or 30 or 40 games might instill confidence and comfort level that pays dividends in game 70 and 80. And then looking into next season, right? Whenever that is. So it's this process and outcomes battle that I feel like is happening right now. And, um, right with this roster, I don't think you can do both completely at the same time. So, you know, you kind of have to commit to one or the other. And right now they seem to be really focused on, on the outcomes and that's winning yeah. some of these games. Yeah. All right, Ben. Uh, is there anything you want to talk about that uh, we didn't really get to today? Hey man, I, I got on my soapbox to start the podcast and that's what I was going to, I was going to do that <laughs> at the end of the podcast, but no, nah, man, you gave me the opportunity to rant, which I appreciate. Um, anytime, man. We this is this is a safe space for <laughs> all of us. All right, <laughs> all right, Ben. The Pistons play Milwaukee tomorrow on the back to back. That's fun. Yeah, and then they do the uh, the home series again, where they play at Milwaukee again on Wednesday. That's two tough games back to back. Then they play. Uh, they come back home to Detroit to play Phoenix on Friday. Phoenix has looked really, really good every time I've watched them play this season. Um, so that'll be a really tough game. And then they'll face Utah on Sunday. Another 3 o'clock matinee game. We don't have to do this podcast at 9 p.m. on Sunday. Thank you, schedule makers. We really appreciate it. All right, so, Ben, will the Pistons play a close game this week? You know, last last week I wasn't feeling optimistic, but then they played Boston tough twice and won yeah. one. So, you know, maybe they maybe they're more competitive than we think. I don't like the Milwaukee matchup at all. I don't think those are going to be close. Um, I don't think I like the Phoenix matchup, and I don't like Utah either. But if I had to pick one, I would say Utah. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Um, I haven't watched any Utah to uh, start. Well, actually, no. Utah played Phoenix, um, but they didn't look good in that game. Um, but yeah, that's that would be an interesting game. I wonder if Blake Griffin plays all four games uh, this week. I wonder if we see them play on the back-to-back. Uh, you know, last time they had a back-to-back with the uh, what was that? The Atlanta Cleveland. Uh, Blake did like Blake and Derek didn't even fly to Atlanta if I remember correctly, and so uh, I wonder if we see Blake rested again and what that'll mean for the on-off numbers we talked about. You know, at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah, and I'd like to see him rest both at the same time. I mean, we don't really have a true backup point guard, but Delon Wright is probably the guy who would play that role. And what that might do is open up even more minutes for Svi and hopefully find his rhythm this season, because we really haven't seen much out of him until today. No, yeah, that's a good point. And it's not like, and Daylon Wright was, was playing well. He had good chemistry with Mason Plumley, but his demotion out of the starting lineup and out of that, uh, out of that chemistry was, uh, was noticeable. He hasn't really had a, had a great game since. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, Ben, uh, let people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, what you're working on for uh, for the Pistons this uh, this week. <laughs> well, right now, I think I'm working on just pissing everybody off on Twitter because I was feeling pretty surly and salty after this one. But uh, at BR Golker on Twitter, uh, give me a day. I'll be in a better mood, I promise. Yeah, I, I like fiery Twitter, Ben. That's a, that's a fun <laughs> guy. I, I've tried to tone down the Twitter uh, stuff. You should still follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at 
L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. But I've tried to tone that down just in favor of taking some more notes about like what's happening in the game because otherwise I forget. And it's kind of a bear to rewatch uh, a game. Like, Especially the Pistons. <laughs> or, <laughs> watching that Cleveland game again was miserable. No, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, But yeah, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we'll talk to y'all next week. See ya.